Hello, uh, my name is Alan Cunningham. Welcome to our second episode of our Electing Z podcast, um, which through Vote Z, we will be hosting this series of podcasts um, featuring in-depth interviews with young elected leaders across the country. Um, as Vote Z worked last year to help get young people um, out to vote, we're going to help uh, we're going to hope that this podcast series helps young people take the next step to actually running for office themselves. Um, today, I am really excited um, to introduce our next speaker, um, who is a speaker of this main state house of representatives, um, Ryan Fecta, who was elected in 2014 at the age of 22. Is that right? And um, has been there since. He is uh, the youngest leader of a state legislature in the country, and he is Maine's youngest and first openly gay speaker. Ryan, thank you, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, um, whichever you prefer. Ryan um, is fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I'll keep it official, or which oh, we'll see. <laughs> but my first question is just going to be very simple, and it's why did you run for office? Well, I I, I had the you know pleasure and honor of uh, you know serving on a school committee. When I was a student, when I was a student in high school, and uh, I don't know how many schools and uh, school committees in the country allow student reps to serve uh, on the school committee, but it, it's a great it was a great opportunity for me. I hope more school districts take it up because uh, I had the opportunity at a young age to engage the political process and to be part of the decision making process, not just there to to listen, but you know they welcomed my feedback and my perspective as a student. Um, when discussing policies that ultimately affected students, right? And uh, from that, from that, from that opportunity, uh, I really gained an, a, not only an interest in politics, but an understanding of how uh, how the work we do at the local level, in in, in whether it's a school board or city council or a state state legislature or the federal government that. That we can make change and that you can be on the ground level of making of seeing that change happen and so uh, that's primarily why i decided to run for the state legislature was knowing that there was change that i thought needed to be made and i and i wasn't going to wait around for someone else to make that change for me i, I felt like you know young people especially need to be at the table um, and have our voices heard and so that's why i stepped up to the plate to run and just for like understanding, was the school board like the same thing as like a board of education? It was yeah. like, is that a, wasn't an elected position or were you like a student representative on that board? So the members of the school board were, were all elected, uh, but the student reps were appointed by the superintendent. You had to apply to be a student representative on this. That's fancy. Board. So there were two of us, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, for context, at the time, uh, our, our high school was in quite a, uh, quite a, uh, this, the, it was in a, Really poor state of disrepair required a lot of, a lot of improvements. We had, you know, I have a number of stories, but like structurally, it was just like it was literally falling apart, and uh, we we were trying to as students were trying to push for a renovation of the school or complete rebuild, mm -hmm. and the school committee was of course charged with making that decision, um, and ultimately we got a thirty-four million dollar bond proposal on the ballot, and uh, it was approved, and so we were successful. Um, so. Just shows again, like students, young mm -hmm. people, it, you know, whether you've even reached voting age can have a difference in, in your. Did you find in that experience? Because um, I'm so I, I I didn't know that you were. Uh, so I guess you've been representing your hometown really since you were what 16, 18? 16, 18? 16 or so, yeah, I guess. So yeah. that's pretty impressive. So I was just wondering, was there a moment um, during that first uh, for on the school board where you realized that you being a young person there, like you being like. Uh, like uh, the actual student in the room 
made a real difference in the conversation? Uh, entirely. I mean, it was it was impressive to see and, and encouraging to see like the adults who were on the school committee who were elected to represent their their specific ward on the on the school committee. Um, they listened to me like they they took the time to like hear hear my perspective, the perspective of the other student representative on the on the school committee, because I think that they I think they quickly realized like you're going to get like the unfiltered, the ungarnished truth about like what students were feeling. And, if, you know, um, the superintendent has a job of, you know, making sure that the schools are running and that everything is uh, all in order. And they're going to the superintendent provides a report that is, you know, uh, of interest to some degree of, of the superintendent, because it's in some ways a, a performance, a job performance review. Right. Every time that person appears before the governing body that oversees his or her position. Whereas as a student, you know, I could say, listen, you know, there's ceiling tiles that are filling up with water because there's water infiltration and they're falling down in the middle of class. We have desks that have been there since the building was built that collapse in on students. Like these are the real experiences that we face and um, we were listened to. So I, I definitely saw, I definitely saw how that, how that could have an impact. The other thing that we did was we, we started uh, after school, a bunch of students um, gave tours of the school to the to community members who are interested yeah. in seeing what the school is like. You know, there's there are members of the community who maybe their children had graduated years ago and they hadn't been in the school in a long time. Um, and we stuck around after school and we gave, I, I would say, like hundreds of tours uh, to, mm -hmm. to, to members of the community um, that showed them why we were asking for thirty four million dollars to mm -hmm. renovate the school. Um, that's how you can make a difference. We didn't, we didn't have votes. Like we couldn't yeah. vote on the, on the measure, but we changed the minds of people who could vote. And that's the impact you can have. You know, when it comes to board of education or school boards, the thing that is, I, this is just a random off topic thing, but it is always, they the, the notion of them is always so strange to me that a bunch of random people are in charge of the schools and there's no, typically no student voices at all but these random members of the community determine like what happens to, it's just a weird concept to me <laughs> to, to have yeah, uh, people yeah, so detached from school be in charge of a uh, school, which I mean, you know, maybe that's, that's government, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we need to recruit, recruit young. I mean, that's, I think why it's important to have young people on school. Absolutely. Uh, but it's also important to have parents who have children in the schools on school. Mm -hmm. committees, and it's important to have teachers, you know, uh, I know in our, in our district, you know, teachers who are uh, employed by the, by the city can't serve on the school committee, but teachers from, from other school districts could, if they lived, obviously they have to live in the city, but if they worked in a different school district, they could serve on the school committee. We had one, I mean- his And I bet 18 year old students valuable. probably too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely, yeah. There's you always- it, run, yeah. run. Yeah, <laughs> never a better place for young people to get involved than in school boards and re really people in general, because that's where crazy things happen. I, Truly, I, I and, there, and, there, and there are a number of subcommittees and, you know, and so forth that are not uh, elected positions, but are appointed. And, you know, oftentimes in your municipalities, in your cities and towns, mm -hmm. um, boards and commissions, like it's hard to find volunteers who mm -hmm. step up to the plate, but they make really important decisions. So mm -hmm. I always tell folks, like, if you don't want to run for office, like if that's not for you, but mm -hmm. you are interested in have, making a change or you want to be involved, like mm -hmm. uh, check with your town, your city and mm -hmm. see what opportunities there are to serve on a board or commission because uh, those are volunteer opportunities and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to run a campaign, you know, mm -hmm. go put lawn signs on people's yards and such. Mm -hmm. uh, you can, you can get involved uh, at a pretty low level. No. And I know um, 
well, I'm, I'm going to transition to your actual elected job now. Um, you first run for office in 2014. You're 22 years old, just got out of college. Um, you were openly gay at that. Uh, you were openly gay um, and seeking office in Maine. What was the reaction from your community? I know you had already te technically resent, uh, represented that community um, in one uh, form, but what was the reaction from people when you first announced like the local people, local political leaders? What, what was the general sense? It's a really good question. I mean, I should say that uh, although I was on the ballot for the first time in 2014, I was running for state representative uh, in 2013 is when I really started my campaign, which was my final year at Catholic, uh, Catholic University. So I was uh, coming home almost every weekend, my last semester at Catholic uh, from DC to Maine uh, to knock doors. Um, so I came home. I traveled how did you do that? That's the, cheap, the cheapest means possible. <laughs> <laughs> Amtrak, mm -hmm. uh, flights if they were cheap, um, bus, mega bus, uh, a mm -hmm. lot of a lot of hours on the road. Um, I had my best academic semester at Catholic, I think primarily because I didn't have so much time to procrastinate. I was, you know, <laughs> left on, uh, on a you bus. You had a lot of homework on the train. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but, you know, the, re the reaction was interesting because I ran uh, in a Democratic primary mm -hmm. against a, a former city councilor and mm -hmm. a former mayoral candidate who had been endorsed by the outgoing state rep, the mm -hmm. current mayor of the city. So I was you know, I think um, I think folks saw me sort of as the outsider, mm -hmm. and him as like the natural like next person to represent the district. Mm -hmm. um, and I just I would, I just I worked him. I you know I knocked tons of doors, and I kept at it for you know many many months, and mm -hmm. just told people why I was running to represent them, what I wanted to do. Um, I thought I think one of the big the big things for for folks in Maine was seeing their grandchildren or their children. Um, graduate and then go off to some other state to find uh, a job opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, that was another reason why I wanted to run was I saw my peers who they didn't think there was any opportunity for them in Maine and they had no intention of ever coming back to Maine. Um, and I wanted to be a leader on, on getting uh, young people to come to Maine for the first time or to stay in Maine uh, and, and find opportunities for them here. And I think that that message really resonated with my constituents. I'm happy to report. I won't, I won't take. I don't take all of the credit for this because I, it's clearly not all my all all, yeah. all because of me. But uh, my city is now the youngest city in the state of Maine. Wow. Um, our, the median age of our downtown district is 29 years old. So um, wow. we are we're we're getting younger here, which is really cool. And we're so many opportunities and lots of really awesome things happening in our city. That kind of leads into one of the questions I was going to ask you. Um, because Maine holistically has a older population range. What is it like being a leader of that state, of the state legislature at such a young age, 28 years old leading the state? I think the median age is what, 40 something, late 40s? So what, yeah, what we, is that? We are, we are the oldest state in the country. So it's, yeah. very, it's very interesting that, you know, at 28 years old, I have the honor of serving as Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, th I think, again, I think, you, you know, um, folks in older generations recognize the the need for young people. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't tell you how many times I knocked on someone's door and the, the voter told me, the, my constituents have told me, um, you know, I'm so excited to see new people running for office, new perspectives. Mm -hmm. uh, I often get like the new blood <laughs> was, a, <laughs> was a thing that people said often. I, I, think, I think, you know, um, folks in a, a, any generation are looking for, for people who are gonna come forward with new ideas mm -hmm. and, a, and, a, and a recommitment 
to, to governing and to working together to solve problems. I think what people have been so disenchanted with um, on all sides of the aisle from all age groups is seeing their lawmakers go to the state capital or to the federal government or to the, you know, uh, into, into Washington, DC, and then not work uh, to, get, to get the problems that we face solved. Uh, and so we get, you know, we get into a position of gridlock and disagreement and divisiveness. And that's not my style of leadership. Uh, I served, on, I chaired a committee in my second term. Uh, I co-chaired that with the Republican, the labor committee, very divisive committee. A lot of the hot button issues ending up in that committee, but we worked together very well and got probably more accomplished than most folks thought we could. And during divided, during a time of divided government with a Republican governor, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of leadership we need in this country because people ultimately don't care if it's a Republican solution or a democratic solution. They just want solutions. <laughs> that's all they want. Yeah. And on that note, I was wondering, how much has your experience growing up, and I watched an interview with you talking about your personal experiences um, growing up in sort of a uh, low-income household and continuing life and how that is, a, you know, comparing that experience to what people are going through now, how much of your um, uh, growing up has affected your either policy, but also um, service as a, as a state leader? Uh, in, a, in a huge way. I mean, I think I consider myself uh, a Democrat because of my experience growing up. I know that so many of the policies that uh, my colleagues fight for every day in, in, in the state house um, are policies or programs that you know I personally came into contact with uh, growing up. Uh, food stamps being you know we uh, what what is formerly known as food stamps uh, EBT. You know having the opportunity to have some food on the table uh, when times were tough for my family. Um, you know, supporting uh, my, my mom who was, had, was a low-wage healthcare worker, continues to work in, in healthcare. Um, you know, she, she dropped out of high school after ninth grade, her, you know, her freshman year of, of high school, uh, never got, never got her, her high school diploma. Uh, you know, those are, those are the challenges that we face in, in this country, you know, making sure that children uh, have access to um, an affordable and equitable education and that we that we find ways to make sure that students like my mom who clearly um fell through the cracks that, that they don't i mean like you know that's that's a huge challenge for us is making sure that students can uh, reach reach uh, at least high school graduation reaching that completion and the work that we're doing in, in augusta here in may here in maine um, i see that work taking place every single day um, and, and I know how it would have, could have impacted my family, um, but I certainly know how it could impact families that are facing these challenges right now. And that's what keeps me motivated to keep doing this work. It's why I love doing this work, because I know ultimately, uh, even though the news covers the, the hot topics every day, the, the drama, uh, the work that we get accomplished actually has a real impact on people's lives. And just a quick, just for like you and uh, an update for like you and like listeners, I guess, to this, that there is a house party going on right outside my door. So if you hear music or anything, um, that's just what, that's uh, just uh, where that's 3, coming from. 3 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. That's oh, it's, um, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to change my schedule for these events, but that's okay. <laughs> um, anywho, my question is, I want to move towards um, you as an elected official. As much as I want to focus on your work, I also want to focus on your bio. Um, specifically you as um, the only queer legislative uh, legislative leader 
uh, not excuse me, not the only one the uh the first one in Maine yeah. um and I was just wondering as a young gay representative have you ever felt in government tokenized ever by um other whether like whether in a policy discussion or by other political leaders or something like that has there ever been an experience like that not really you know I have to say I've, I've been very thankful and I guess fortunate that um in my experience in legislature, whether it be my age or my sexual orientation, um, I have not been treated any differently by, by my colleagues. Uh, you know, the toughest day that I had in, in my years of service um, was the first time I presented a bill to ban conversion therapy here in the state of Maine. Um, that that floor, we had a floor debate on the bill um, and it was wildly, wildly offensive. Um, one member in particular who was uh, speaking on the floor, um, I, I may have had a very adverse reaction with a slamming of my fist on, on, on my desk. The speaker at the time, it was not very appreciative of, of that. Um, but, you know, it was, uh, that was probably the, one of the only times where I felt, you know, very much like, you know, someone who was fighting an uphill battle and someone who was othered, um, someone who uh, you know, it really put, put it in perspective, like, you know, unlike, unlike my colleagues who are heterosexual, like, they don't have to fight for these, their rights, like, they don't have to fight to ban something that is widely offensive, first of all, but uh, most importantly, harmful, like, that's like, they're not, like, because of who they are, <laughs> you know, like, that's, it, it just really is a, that was definitely a ch challenging day for me. Uh, I'm glad that uh, I was able to reintroduce that bill in my third term, sent it to the governor's desk, got that bill signed into law, and now conversion therapy is banned here in the state of Maine, uh, which is you know just really exciting. But it, 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 those are the challenging days. You know, I think I recognize my privilege. You know, I'm, I'm a white male. Um, yeah. There are folks across the state of Maine, across the country, who uh, people of color who um, are judged uh, mm -hmm. from the moment someone sees them, and you know. Uh, I recognize that privilege that I have and, um, uh, you know, try to navigate making sure that I can leverage who I am and the position I'm in every, every moment to make sure that the voices who maybe aren't at the table have the opportunity mm -hmm. to be at the table and that we move policies that impact their lives in, in a positive way as well. I want to congratulate you on that bill passing and being signed by the governor. That's a tremendous achievement and it's a I think one of the greatest examples I've seen of uh, um, uh, an elected official seeing their um, their voice and their uh, vote actually make a difference in the legislative process, which is huge. And uh, when it comes to uh, contentious floor debates, I, I can uh, semi-relate on a much lower level. Um, as you know, both of uh, I'm gonna uh, go to the Catholic University and you are an alumni, of course, of that university. And for those listening that don't know, at that at our university are. Um, um, uh, LGBT organization, uh, COA Allies, is not recognized um, by the school um, because of its Catholic um, heritage. And, uh, uh, and when there was a floor debate um, in the student government, you did show up and did speak. And I want to, of course, thank you for that. But I'm also curious, what was that, what was being an openly queer person on Catholic's campus like for you on a personal level? Did you feel emboldened to actually stand up for your rights? Did you feel repressed by um, uh, the, uh, uh, the basically the culture of the university. Um, how was that experience for you? 
Yeah, I think, you know, it was obviously challenging to be at a university that refused to recognize the existence of an LGBTQ student organization. Um, and I think denied its recognition for all the wrong reasons. Part of the part of those reasons, you know, I, I heard at the at the student government debate that was had most recently at, at Catholic, as once again, students are pushing to get the organization recognized. Um, you know, this idea that somehow CU allies is, is um, steps outside of church, church teaching. Um, I, I, I just am so fundamentally opposed to that, that assertion. It is simply not true. Welcoming people, creating a safe space for people, that is, that is not anti-Catholic. That is uh, most inherently Catholic. Like that is who we are. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I always make sure to say like, I'm not, uh, I'm not just gay, I'm, I'm a gay Catholic and I'm a Catholic gay. <laughs> and uh, those two things are, you know, paramount to my, who I am as a person. And, um, you know, I just, uh, it just is incredible to me to think that a student group that is, that's goal is to foster a welcoming environment does not get recognized on campus. Yeah. Uh, that being said, my experience at Catholic was, uh, was tough at times and challenging. Um, but one thing that I, I will always give credit to is the student body is mm -hmm. by far supportive of LGBTQ people on campus. Um, Absolutely. You know, it's, it's far and away. Like if the student body could vote on whether or not CU allies, for example, mm -hmm. would be recognized, I guarantee you the vote yeah. would, be, uh, would, be in, would, would be in our favor mm -hmm. because the students are supportive. I had students who had all political persuasions mm -hmm. who were um, devoutly Catholic, you know, people who attended mass every single day, um, who I didn't agree with on anything politically, um, but they were my friends and they still are my friends to this day. And I think that speaks volumes to um, just the disconnect that the university's administration has uh, mm -hmm. with, the student, with the student body, because even those who uh, the university might consider or we might consider the most religious, I, I think are indeed supportive of recognizing yeah. CU allies. And I'm just, this is a bit of a change, but it's something I've been thinking, always wondering about. You go to, you went to school in Washington, DC. Um, you were a politics major, is that right? Yeah. Or, yeah. yep. And then you decide to go right back home. What brought you back home um, to Maine? Well, in Maine, we're very fortunate that we have term limits. Uh, so <laughs> my, my state rep was termed out and uh, you know, I, I saw that as an opportunity to to run. Um, I'm not sure, you know, that if I hadn't run immediately, it, you know, would have been probably eight years before yeah. I had the chance to do so in my in my hometown if I were mm -hmm. interested in running. Uh, this is my last term in the state house and the, really? the House of Representatives. I have already served. Well, I'm in my final term, so by the end of it, I'll have served my eight years in in the House. Um, and, and so that was definitely <laughs> that was definitely like a a logical calculation. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was also excited to get home. You know, I think mm -hmm. uh, I love DC and it mm -hmm. definitely holds a big place in my heart, but um, there's something about being here in Maine with mm -hmm. uh, friends and family, but also just knowing that I could have uh, probably an outsized impact on mm -hmm. change and uh, making things, uh, making things work for the everyday person, for young people, for those who are fighting to get by. I felt like mm -hmm. I could make change happen here. Uh, wasn't so sure, you know, in the in the big sea of DC politics, if that would be the mm -hmm. case. And I know this this would be more like more like a I have a couple more questions, but this would be like more of an ending question. But at the same time, I'm very curious. 
what does a former 28 year old speaker of a legislature do next do you have any sort of idea of that or are you too busy focused on uh, the now right now uh, that's a really good question i think people keep uh, asking me that even though it, it's <laughs> like they've already written my death no- my death, yeah. <laughs> death notice but um you know my uh, i my state senator is also termed out and so i could technically uh, head over to the state senate um but you know i think uh, i'll keep my options open but uh I am looking forward to new opportunities. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, um, you know, I spent my 20s in the legislature, which is probably incredibly unhealthy for a young person's development. So mm-hmm. uh, I, might, I might take a little bit of, break, of a break from uh, politics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something I um, also have been always wondering about when it comes to uh, interviewing these young politicians is, what is it like being a leader um, and somebody seen with authority, if you will, and being single? And then trying to date people is that how do you how do you, how does that even happen um, in a, a normal sense? Constant challenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that's that's definitely uh, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, it's uh, it might be even a little bit more strange in the in the gay community. I mean, or yes. just as uh, you know, not only being gay but also just being young. Obviously, yeah. the ways in which. Uh, we date, which is mostly through technologies, mm-hmm. is you know different than my colleagues who are in their 40s and 50s who are single. Although they too uh, probably are using dating apps by this point. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it's just a it's a constant it's a weird uh, world on the internet. <laughs> yeah, you know, just you know, just being um, uh, it's it. I think it's difficult to like uh, to really assess um, mm-hmm. you know how to how to constitute a relationship with someone without it being. Um, is it the first or second date that you drop your title? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Um, no, there's no dropping of title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, well, I'm going to do a couple main questions and policy questions before we wrap up. And I'm just really curious. The biggest one is, um, I know your first bill was a um, COVID patients bill of rights. I'm just really curious, what is a COVID patients bill of rights? And how has it been leading, being a legislative leader in the midst of uh, probably the craziest time? in a long time we, we, we would need a whole another uh episode yeah. for that but, uh, <laughs> uh, ld1 which is our covid patient bill of rights will uh, does a number of things real quickly i'll just mm-hmm. list off a couple of them first it makes sure that uh, uh, insurance companies uh that are that are um uh, state mm-hmm. the state has oversight over um that they provide uh that the testing and immunizations will be free so uh, making sure that folks can get tested and vaccinated without having to worry about the cost. Secondly, uh, in the in the last legislature, we passed a law that allowed people to uh, use telehealth services. Unfortunately, we didn't foresee the issue of uh, people not being able to have their video on due to uh, broadband access being uh, either limited or or not strong enough. Yeah. Um, and so this we're tweaking the law to allow for telehealth services to be conducted through audio only. So if you're on Zoom with your doctor, and your audio goes, or your video can't be on. You can still, uh, you can still use the audio, and that and that will still be um, permissible by state law. And you can be, you know, re- the you can you know have health coverage and whatnot. Um, uh, you know, those are those are some of the major the major highlights of the bill. Um, we're working on uh, that bill's had its public hearing this week, and we're uh, moving moving forward. Are you also working on the uh, vaccine rollout in your state? Yeah, actually, in a huge, uh, big, big announcement from the governor today regarding uh, vaccine rollout here, uh, announcing 
the timeline for all age groups and mm -hmm. including a process by which teachers will be expedited to the mm -hmm. to the front of the line in their when their age group is called up so really are essential workers also included in that plan because i know one issue in my hometown state is uh um essential workers were uh it's it's just going by age and by teachers yeah uh, i think i think they're i think they're including essential workers by age group as well so mm -hmm. it's uh i think the i think the governor and main cdc's perspective has been that um, risk has really mm -hmm. been assessed uh, primarily based on age. And so they, they're taking the approach of not moving people to the front of the line based on the occupation, but rather based on their, uh, on their, on their risk, which we've, which we've seen throughout the pandemic relies heavily on one's age. And a random question uh, that I, when I was researching main issues, um, and I saw uh, you have a face mask of the old uh, or the uh, second sort of a uh, main flag, and there's a yeah. bill uh, to change the main state flag. Uh, I love state flags, <laughs> and I think this is the coolest debate. I'm really curious, and I'll, I'll be honest, depending on how you answer this, I'm going to view you one way or another, but what is your view on this? The so, state flag issue. I'm a huge fan of the 1901 flag, which yeah. is the flag that I have on my face mask. Um, uh, this is an interesting debate. I think it is. I think the 1901 flag is just much more clean. Yeah. And uh, what I don't like about our state flag currently is it. It's actually our state seal, just on mm -hmm. a navy background, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm not su suggesting we get rid of our state seal. I think that mm -hmm. will have its uses uses as well. Um, but uh, I think uh, I think adopting the 1901 flag would be a, a good move. I think that bill got a vote out of committee, uh, divided report, unfortunately. So these are the battles I will we'll fight. See. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> all right, that's, and my final question is just gonna be geared towards um, uh, all young people that are looking to run for uh, office. What would you say is your first bit of advice on how to get involved um, and whether or not, I'm, I'm sure you're gonna say you should get involved, but uh, how, how would you um, give advice to young people that want to look for opportunities? Yeah, I think, Find, find the opportunities to get involved. And mm -hmm. that doesn't have to always look like putting your name on the ballot and mm -hmm. you know launching a campaign, as I said earlier. That could be uh, getting involved with a border or commission at the local level. That could be volunteering at, at the local food pantry. Um, that could be you know working volunteering with Habitat for Humanity, whatever that looks like for you. Um, civic engagement doesn't always involve policymaking. It involves a lot of other things as well. Um, and building those connections in your community uh, if running for office one day is something you want to do, that could be your launching point, like being able to build those real relationships with uh, people who are doing good in your, in your, in your communities uh, can make a huge difference. And so uh, that would be my, my advice. Uh, I think people should know that, you know, their, their voice matters and most importantly, their vote matters. And uh, if you aren't registered to vote yet, please get yourself registered to vote, participate in every election. Um, you know, especially the off-year elections. You know, I know the presidential is always the the one with the with the with the big billboards and the, the flashing lights, but uh, you have an outsized voice in your in your off in the off-year elections and your local elections because That's the school boards. Unfortunately, participation is lower in those elections. Mm -hmm. So get out there and vote and make a difference. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that was uh, Ryan Fechtel, main speaker of the House of Representatives. Um, he will be looking for a job in two years, but uh, we will see. Uh, we will definitely hear from him um, in some other form. Um, I want to thank you so much, uh, Ryan, for sitting down and speaking with us on Electing Z. Awesome. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it.